Hey, Jackson Crawford. <laughs> there certainly are fairly significant indications of single runes in the pre-Christian era, era used as symbols, not only as letters. And to all the rest of you, this is a little uh, response video to the incredibly informative American YouTuber and uh, linguist, Dr. Cra uh, Jackson Crawford, who has this channel that's like a, <laughs> uh, almost like a university course in, uh, in uh, Old Norse language and myth. Um, and in a recent video, Crawford makes the case that runes were not used in this way as single symbols before earliest sometime in the Middle Ages. He makes the case that rune names as we know them are reconstructed based on medieval rune poems and then projected back in time. He then infers that runes weren't used in preceding periods as symbols representing the concept of rune names. Like runes have names. The first rune name, for instance, is called fe, which means cattle or money. And then Crawford says that, that letter wouldn't have been used to either represent this meaning or perhaps invoke this meaning magically. Uh, like calling uh, wealth, invoking wealth. Crawford says, I, I seriously doubt that there was ever a time prior to Scandinavia being quite comfortably Christian, late to mid Middle Ages, where anyone thought that those names meant something like that. We don't see the runes used with that kind of symbolic meaning early on, right? But we do. Or at least I think Crawford's position needs some serious modification, you know, in this respect. <laughs> of course, uh, Crawford is right when he says that if there were symbolic meanings, then they would have been rather different from contemporary ideas. And on that bit, we totally agree. Contemporary dialoguing with runes is very decidedly contemporary. And almost certainly, uh, say, Iron Age ideas of the symbolic meanings of runes would have been different. But it's important to remark that at least some of the rune names that we know from the medieval rune poems, they actually do seem to have been there in earlier times. And the single runes certainly do seem to have been sometimes used as symbols representing these names, both semiotically just as a symbol, but also as the symbol possessing some sort of agency in a way that probably aligns somewhat to what we would today tend to label magic, actually. Right? And I think Crawford is overlooking this, uh, this material a little bit. Now, I'm a historian of religion. I'm not a runologist, so just be aware of this. Uh, but I just want to share a couple of the instances where I think uh, that you see exactly this indication of symbolic use of single runes, symbolizing them names, basically, in a period before the Middle Ages. From the Viking Age, uh, there is an amulet which is found in Sigtuna from Sweden. It has a formula on it where you find three ice runes, and that is immediately followed by the words, these ices may grant you to be satisfied wolf or something like that. Of course, the reading is totally ambiguous, but the text most likely articulates the single ice runes as agented symbols. First ice, 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 and then these ices do something. 
something that effectuates the agency of the amulet. Uh, there might be more Viking Age examples. Uh, I haven't gone through the whole thing, so I'm just dropping a couple of examples that really spring to mind of runes used as uh, individual symbols. A bit earlier on in the uh, Viking Age, we have the inscription Österjötland 43, which pretty much makes sense only if we read the use of the Elder Futhark letter D for meaning its name, Dey, right? And Dey or Dagger can also be a man's name, so this doesn't seem magic in the same sense as the amulet from Sigtuna, but we certainly have the Elder Futhark letter being remembered with its symbolic meaning uh, into the Viking Age. There's pretty much no question uh, about it. The, the D rune probably stands for its name in this uh, text. We see something similar uh, a bit further back in the uh, late Iron Age, where the Steintoften stone has a sentence that goes, Hathu Wolafaz gave year. And Hathu Wolafaz is a man's name. Now, the word year is religiously significant uh, because it, it signifies harvest or harvest season. And later on this year, this word occurs in the probably heathen formula Till Ars Oak Frieder for peace and prosperity. Uh, and in the uh, Steintoften inscription, that word, year, is represented by an old Futhark rune whose name is probably Year, the Yera rune. Uh, perhaps not a magic use, but again, you know, unquestionably an, an ideographic, symbolic use of the sim single rune. Harkening back to Jackson's example of the rune Fe, which may have meant cattle or money, but Crawford says, carrying it doesn't summon me money. Oh, perhaps not, but perhaps, you know, at least the Gumarp stone mentions the same man as the Steintoften stone, Hathu Wolofars, you know, who gave year on the <laughs> Steintoften stone. So Gumarp stone says, Hathu Wolofars carved three staffs, F, F, F. Now that could mean something else than Hathu Wolofars summoning wealth with the F rune. Yeah, it could. It's possible. Perhaps Hathu Wolofars was just practicing his Fs or something, uh, carving them in stone. But... <clears throat> Many scholars uh, would consider this a rune carver's formula. I so-and-so pronounce or carve this and that, right? This and that is what is being effectuated by the status of the speaker or the carver. It's a bit like saying, I, Bishop of Canterbury, crown you Queen of England. Crown you Queen of England are effective words that actually makes a person Queen of England, and they're rooted in the self-reference, I Bishop of Canterbury, right? But this is, of course, a little bit speculative. Yet in the context of the other single symbol used in the Steintoften stone, in connection to the same individual, I think that the single uh, single symbol magical reading uh, of the Gumap stone is at least not improbable. But let us move all the way back into the Iron Age, where we find the Kauhul spear shaft, one of my absolute favorite examples. Because a spear in a sacrificial bug, you know, would seem to suggest a sacralization for the god Odin, which 
seems to be supported by a number of both archaeological and written sources indicating spears as uh, sacralizing for Odin. So the inscription on this spear reads something along the lines of I, Muha, the Ariel of Asukisal, Ariel possibly meaning rune master, I power sacralize, and then comes what is probably the effective part of the formula, three bind runes, which if you translate them with their medieval names would give us gift god, gift god, gift god, and then some more stuff. A gift to a god on a spear, probably sacralizing uh, a sacrifice. I think this gift god bind rune on this spear in a sacrificial bog is a little bit too obvious to be easily discarded. Uh, I think this is a fairly good indication that this formula was agented with uh, contributing to the sacralizing function of the spear in the sacrifice that might have been for Odin. Uh, notice, by the way, that the runes are agented and they're also combined. And these bind runes, that is just the things that hippies today love. And I think that's part of the reason that scholars seem to tend to overlook the Kaohol spear shaft when they're talking about runes. Because if there's one thing in this world that scholars of runes will avoid at almost any cost, it is saying stuff that is the same as what hippies are saying, even if it seems to be likely stuff. For instance, that the Kaohol spear shaft shows Iron Age people who think about the old Futhark runes in ways that appear rather similar to California New Ages, right? Uh, it, scholars don't like that. This is old Futhark, as uh, an early inscription here, and somebody could probably jump through all kinds of hoops and make the point that it's marginal because there's only that one example or something like that, or very few examples. Uh, but we also need to remember how few finds there are in the old Futhark at all. The Kaohol inscription is one out of only some few hundreds of finds. So is it insignificant in the context of how few finds there are? You know, and I know I'm kind of rushing through all kinds of periods here just to make the point that I think in a rather great likelihood, there are indeed cases that does indeed indicate runes used both as symbols referencing their name, but also as in the case of the Kaohol spear shaft and this amulet from Sigtuna, the single rune symbol seeming, seemingly having a kind of agency in the use similar to what we would today tend to label magic. Uh, but magic is a problematic word. I mean, you could just say a kind of agency, animacy perhaps. These instances are not, and I almost said carved in stone, <laughs> perhaps they are carved in stone, but they're not kind of irrefutable evidence. If you are strongly motivated, it is possible to jump through hoops and explain them away. But they are significant indications. You will have to start getting yourself into explaining them away if you want to omit them from uh, the data that you are uh, concluding from. Now Crawford, he doesn't say this explicitly, and perhaps he'll correct me if I'm jumping to some assumptions here, um, but I s his, his reflection seems to perhaps understate a little bit the idea that there has to be a very clear distinction between runes being used for either as magic symbols or as just letters. Uh, 
And like many linguists, Crawford wants stuff to be language, of course. Uh, and we scholars, we like that. You know, we like to see our own field of competence in whatever data we're looking at. Uh, so, for instance, Crawford, he takes the Lindholm amulet, which has a runic inscription that has a rather weird sequence of runes that doesn't really spell anything, but it just repeated runes. Uh, and then he tries to translate it as if it could be then made into a readable formula in a way that actually does indeed seems to be possible with the Cowhill Spear, uh, which Crawford uh, doesn't mention. Um, but magic doesn't have to be translatable necessarily, like, like indeed it seemed to be in the case of the Cowhill Spear. Um, magic symbols, they're often weird and gnomic and strange in ways that you can't just sit down and put together like a word puzzle. Often the symbols themselves, they're so gnomic that zero reading of them is actually possible. The Viking Age runic amulet, they have some amazing examples of this, where you're just looking at these weird, weird symbols, right? Uh, but of course, Crawford makes a valid point about the Lindholm amulet when he says that, yeah, it's a bit difficult for us to uh, safely conclude that it is magic. Of course, we can't conclude that. We can just see that there's some letters that look weird. Um, but then it seems that Crawford falls back on safely concluding that it has to be language then, which I also think, also think is a little bit of a problem. You know, it does seem to make sense, you know, to, to, to um, infer that when you're talking about letters. But if you actually take a look at the, uh, a fuller look at the material, uh, and here I'm talking about the material in the, the material in the older Futhark, then the examples that I've mentioned here, they're only examples where something about the context actually supports these as indications of single letters being perhaps magical symbols. Um, there are myriads of examples of inscriptions that kind of don't look like language. And uh, I actually counted. <laughs> and in my, granted, very rough assessment, uh, the inscriptions in the old Futhark, about 40% of the inscriptions either kind of can't be translated into something that resembles language or they don't even look like language at all. Uh, for instance, just like single runes just hanging around here and there or uh, sequences of letters weirdly hanging about with each other in seemingly intentional ways but not resembling language. Um, like for instance, being repeated repeated letters, which by the way is a typically ceremonial structure which corresponds with this ritual aspects of these rune carvers formulas that you sometimes find. So I think that this empirical data of all this you know, nonsense from a linguistic point of view, that has to be taken a little bit seriously in itself. We can't just reject it as children practicing or faulty attempts at being what we would like to see, say language or oblique examples of what we would like to see, for instance, language. Uh, it's not a particularly strong scholarly methodology, which is also why I'm not taking that and saying it's all magic, you know? Um, so, yeah. Cool. So, uh, I'd really like to hear uh, Crawford's opinion about all this. Um, perhaps there's something that I'm overlooking or totally over-interpreting. 
I am myself uh, a scholar of religion, so of course my perspective is also totally defined by my uh, the baggage of my study, which is Kabbalah and voodoo and esotericism and animism and all that kind of thing, things. Um, but here's what I basically think. Yeah. One, you shouldn't assume that runes are either just magic or either just writing. Religious uh, ideas of letters actually play out in an interface. And a good example of this is actually Hebrew letters and Hebrew letter or Jewish letter mysticism. But that's a bit of a different story. Two, I don't think it is a strong scholarly position to reject the meaning of single runes as an element in pre-Christian culture about runes. There are pretty good uh, reasons to believe that single runes did convey meaning and sometimes these meanings are clearly consistent with the medieval rune poems. Cool. So hey, Jackson Crawford, I'm looking forward to hearing from you and to everybody else. Thanks for listening and see you guys around.